Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Late Night Linux Extra, mostly recorded on the 16th of April 2020, and I'm Joe. Late Night Linux Extra is back. I mentioned it on the main show, but I've got a bit more time these days. I'm not sure how frequent the extra episodes are going to be, but stay subscribed to the All Episodes feed is your best bet if you want to get this and the main show. On this episode, I'm going to be talking to Michael Hall, who actually works with Will at Influx Data, but I'm talking to him about his time when he was at Canonical and his experience of taking conferences and converting them to online events, which is clearly quite relevant right now. I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's supporting the show with PayPal and on Patreon. It's really, really helping right now. And remember, for $5 or more, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And we have an AMA type thread going on at Patreon that's available to anyone who supports us at any level. So do check that out at latenightlinux.com slash support. Every little helps, and it's uh, really appreciated. Right, well, let's get straight to talking to Michael then. Thank you very much for joining me, Michael. Thank you for having me on. So you have got quite a lot of experience with communities. You were on the community team at Canonical working on Ubuntu, is that right? Yeah, I was there for about seven years. And during that time, you were regularly doing UDS, Ubuntu Developer Summit, and that was converted to an online event. And so that's what I want to talk to you about. What drew my attention was a tweet of yours that said, a lot of folks are about to learn you can't take a conference online by just replacing conference center rooms with Zoom. We tried this with Ubuntu Developer Summit many years ago. And that really got my attention because this was a few weeks ago when everybody was converting their conferences to online events. You had this experience of making Ubuntu Developer Summit into an online-only event. And after that tweet, you have subsequently put up a blog post. You seemed quite negative in that first tweet, like as, as if people were just kind of expecting to just simply convert to an online event. But you kind of paired it back a little bit with a lot more practical advice in the blog post. Yeah, not quite as much advice as you know I would have liked to have had. Um, I, I would love to say that we you know, figured out all the problems and uh, made everything work well, but we really didn't. So, you know, I gave what advice I could. I said what we did learn, but uh, I think there's still a lot that's unanswered. So, I, I was negative in the the tweet because we came into it with kind of the same. I don't want to say naivete, but I don't really have a better word. So <laughs> we'll go with it. It makes sense. We've got this technology to do all this video conferencing. It seems easy enough to just take a conference and put it into video conferences. And what we learned and what I think other people are going to have to learn the hard way if they take the same approach is that there's so much more to a conference than just what's on the surface. And you can replace what's on the surface with you know, video conferencing technology, but you're not going to get the whole experience and you're not going to get the whole value. And your attendees aren't going to get the whole value if that's all that you're doing. I've always seen conferences as almost like the planet that you orbit around and all the, the fun stuff orbits around. You can't expect to get people together for no reason. You can't say, oh, let's all meet up in some city and just go to the pub for a couple of days. You have to have that conference. But for me, going to a few conferences, it was always the, the ancillary stuff 
the, the stuff that orbited around it that was the value, the, the true value there for me. And there's, there's always value in the talks and everything, but it's that social aspect, isn't it? Yeah, so I agree. I think the talks are the gravity that, that pulls it all together, but that's not you know the entirety of the conference. Like you said, there, there's so much going out to pubs afterwards, hanging out in the hallway. We talk about hallway track a lot, you know, seeing your friends, making new friends, talking to strangers over lunch. These are the things that really make conferences enjoyable. And they're really things that make it valuable too. Um, when I started writing this blog post, I reached out to some of my former coworkers and uh, community members from Ubuntu to get their perspective. And one of the best bits of feedback that I got was that a lot of the value that a company gets from sending somebody to a conference is that physical presence. It is that proximity to other people, the ability to have casual conversations, the ability to drop in on conversations that are going around uh, and, and, you know, talk about their, their company and what their company is doing or learn things that would be valuable to them. All of that happens outside of the talks, but that's something that companies understand is going to happen. And when you request time off to go to a conference, that's baked into the calculation. And it's a lot harder to take time off for a virtual conference if you're not going to bring that same kind of value back from it. Yeah, because companies might see it as, well, you're just sitting around watching videos all day. Why am I going to pay you for that? Exactly, yeah. And the thing is that with a lot of conferences these days, most of the talks are filmed and then available on YouTube or whatever afterwards. And so it's almost like you expected to watch them in your free time, maybe, rather than sit down and watch them streamed live for eight hours a day. Yeah, I think when you can watch them anytime, there's an expectation that you're not doing it when you're supposed to be working. Yeah, exactly. And unless you, you make that explicit and you say, hey, I'm going to take these days off to watch these videos, then the expectation is that your, your work time is spent on work still. And like you said, it's a lot harder. Uh, it's a lot harder ask to to say, you know, I just I'm going to spend eight hours watching videos today for work. Yeah, even though there is actually a lot of value to be had from that. There is, but like you said, it's not time sensitive. You can do it in your free time. You can do it over the weekend. You know, why do you have to do it during the the nine to five day? Yeah. One thing that really struck me from your post here was that. You said the technical aspects of it are your, the least of your worries. That's what most people would consider to be the main problem. You, you're going to have audio problems and, and lag and packet loss and all of that and dodgy Wi-Fi. But you see the technology as very much a solved problem and it's all the rest of it that's the, the problem. Zoom is holding up incredibly well with everybody being on Zoom right now. When we did this, you know, we had Google Hangouts we had issues, but not that much. Like that was never a deal breaker. That was more of a, a minor annoyance than anything. But you would expect, or maybe you would have expected that suddenly you open this up to anyone in the world who can just be sitting at their desk or even watching it on their phone or whatever. You'd expect the, the registration and attendance to go way up. But in fact, looking at this chart that you've made, it went way down when you changed it from an in-person event to an online only. Yeah. Now, we didn't require registration to participate online. So that might have had something to do with it. If we'd required it, it might have 
had higher numbers. I know we had a lot of people who watched the live broadcast and joined the chat without actually having registered uh, to say that they were attending. It wouldn't surprise me if, if the first time you had a lot more people attend than you expected. But I think like what happened to us is that that tapers off quickly as people realize that I don't have to be there when it's happening. I don't have to be in every hour of session. I can just wait for the event to happen and then watch the two or three hours worth of talks that stood out as interesting to me. Is there an argument to be made for streaming it and not making the recordings available then so that you had to be there? Uh, so the counter to that is that, you know, the earth is round and time zones suck yeah. and you can't fix that with technology. So, you know, if you don't have a recording, then there's a large part of the world population that's not going to be able to see it. Yeah, true. You know, I think asking for time off at work to watch a video is hard. Try asking for, you know, 2 a.m. of somebody's time. Yeah, that's going to be tricky for a lot of people. Yeah. It's interesting that you said you should shorten the schedule of it because if you do an in-person event, you generally want to kind of maximize the time. People are only going to be either watching talks or at the social events or sleeping. So it kind of makes sense to have the full eight-hour workday for talks. But you think that it's a better idea to not do that then? Yeah. One of the things I hit on a lot in the blog post was that when somebody's at your physical event, you've got their entire time. And so it's a waste to them to not be in a session and it's kind of you know it you're asking a lot of them to waste that time whereas when they're just doing it remotely whenever there's not a session there's something else they could be doing at home or at work wherever they happen to be so that that's not wasted time at that point if you only do four hours of sessions a day instead of eight you're not wasting half their day you're giving them half of their day back So I think that makes it a lot easier for people to participate when they don't have to commit as much time in a single chunk to being there. And you also say schedule a meal break. That's something that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think about, but you would definitely do that in an in-person event. So why not online, right? Yeah, well, it's not something you think about online because you only think about what people are doing while they're in a talk. You don't think about, okay, well, they're going to get hungry at some point because, hey, they're already somewhere they can get something to eat. Um, But if you don't schedule that in, yeah, people are still going to eat. What they're going to do is they're just going to skip an hour at some point in the middle of your, your conference day and go take that time to eat. So if you build that into your schedule, none of your speakers are having to compete with hungry people. You're not asking anybody to skip meals. And what we found out with the the online UDS was that if you just schedule it in the middle, that will more or less line up with whatever meal somebody's going to need to eat during that time, whether it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. They, they can shift their meal schedule around a little bit uh, to make it line up with that so that they don't miss sessions. Yeah, that does make sense. I suppose you can wait an hour or two. Uh, or or eat an hour or two earlier or whatever. But if there's just no break at all, then yeah, your only choice is to miss something and then catch up afterwards. You're going to basically make your own lunch break whenever it's convenient for you and everyone's going to do it different. Yeah. Another thing you talk about is having more keynotes then. Keynotes was something that we found actually worked pretty well. They, they got a lot 
better online traction than the individual talk sessions. And now some of that is because UDS and virtual UDS were not traditional conferences. Most of the sessions were working sessions. So you would get people into a room to talk about a specific feature or program that's going to be developed over the next six months. And it was just a back and forth conversation, brainstorming, taking action items. So it's a little bit different than what a traditional um, conference talk is like. But I still think that the, the keynote format, uh, it has some things going for it that make it better suited for an online format. Um, generally, it's the only thing happening at that hour. So you get to drive all of the attendees to it. It's generally either a very well-known person or a very interesting topic, again, to drive as many people to it as you can. And also, they're typically one-way conversations. They're you know presented usually on a giant stage where you've got hundreds or more people in the audience. Um, so the expectation is never that they're going to be individually engaging with members of the audience. And since that's a lot harder to do with an online session anyway, that kind of it it doesn't have the same friction as a traditional talk might. So we saw better attendance um, in those keynotes than we did in the normal sessions we did. But one of the best things about talks is the Q&A at the end often. And that must be very clunky when you try and do that online. That's probably one of the less clunky things, especially if you have help. So one of the suggestions that I did have um, was to have an additional person in each of these sessions who can help with fielding questions, managing the the chat rooms, um, and handling kind of the logistics of a presentation while the presenter is actually giving it. So if you have somebody there who can you know, talk to the people in the chat while the presentation is going on, kind of line up some questions, sometimes seed some discussion and some questions, and then when the talk's over, go through those one at a time with the presenter and have them answer. That works pretty well. Yeah, because normally in a session, you'll have someone who is, uh, you know, either a volunteer or paid, whatever, but their, their job is to look after the room. And that's something that's easily forgotten with an online event. Right. Also, like just being there for tech support, you know, have somebody who knows whatever conferencing system you're using and can help the speaker if they run into any issues. So it's like a combination of the AV person that you have there, the person who's got the microphone who runs it around for people asking questions, the person who you know makes sure that the door in the back of the room is closed so you don't have a bunch of noise coming through. Uh, it really helps to have that person there to take that load off of the speaker. We're kind of coming at this from taking events online. So things that would have been an in-person meetup, but is actually being moved online for obvious reasons in this day and age. But what about conferences that spring up from scratch now, things that weren't around? There must be some opportunities here for people to start new events. There are. I think that opportunity has been there for a while. Maybe these changes have really spurred people to, to start taking advantage of that more. When you don't have a venue and you're not having people go to a specific place, that really gives you a lot more flexibility than you would have otherwise. One of the things we learned ultimately with the uh, Ubuntu Online Summit was that it didn't make sense to wait to have this big, you know, two or three day event 
when we could be you know, feeding these talks and these presentations out as they become available. So I think maybe not so much online conferences are going to take off, but I think people who actively go out and get interesting content and provide kind of a steady trickle of it from their website or whatever their source is, that those will become more popular. So instead of saying, oh, I've got this online conference this day, you say, okay, these are the four or five different online content sources that I follow on a regular basis. And this one's got something going on today. This one's got something going on tomorrow. And you just kind of consume it almost like channels on a TV. Yeah, or YouTube channels, maybe. Yeah. So there's a question that you probably won't be able to answer, but it's just your kind of opinion on this. Even when things, quote unquote, return to normal, I would expect conference attendance to be down because people aren't really going to want to huddle together, certainly not before the vaccine and everything. So it feels like it's going to be a long time. I mean, what's, what's your feeling as someone with his ear to the ground? When do you think conferences will return to normal and, and will they or is just online the new normal? I think some of them will return to, to in-person. I really hope a lot of them do because yeah, I see a lot of value in that. But I do think we're going to see a lot of them either go permanently online or just disappear entirely. I think we had a lot of conferences that were competing in a way. And I think that this is going to cause a lot of them to have to, to pack it up and you know not continue in either form anymore. So... I think that's probably going to be a big impact. I expect that a lot of them are going to stay online just because they'll find that the the cost of running them hasn't kept up with the value. And that even if they get less value out of having it online, the fact that it's so much cheaper still makes that the, the more compelling option. I think a lot of the, the corporate-backed ones are going to do that. The community... Managed events, I think, will be more likely to come back in person because those really are about being there and being there with this group of people that you're there with all the time. So those, I think, will come back. And I certainly hope so because those are my favorite ones. Well, my favorite too. I mean, the event that I run, it's very small, Fast Talk Live. It's it's not a traditional conference. We were going to have a little bit more of a traditional conference feel during the day, but it's essentially just an excuse to go to the pub and have a drink with you know, all, all our mates. And I didn't have any desire to make that an online event because it would have just, it seemed totally pointless to me. I mean, would you agree that there are some events that just simply don't make sense online? I think so, yeah. Uh, I think, again, a lot of those community-run events where it's you know, open source volunteers doing a lot of the talks, it's going to be hard for them to justify going online. Um, a lot harder to, to make that happen than if they had a big corporate backer. Yeah. Although the technology is there, but I suppose as we've discussed, it's not just about the technology, is it? It's a lot more than that. And it's about like speakers too. You know, if if you're like a Kubernetes conference, there are companies that will send people to speak to it. But if you're like, you know, uh, South California Linux Expo scale, um, where a lot of the talks are, you know, just people talking about, the project that they work on as a volunteer or their specific interest where nobody's probably sending them to go do this talk as, you know, a, a speaker for a company. Those people are going to have a harder time doing it. 
and especially if it's happening during their workday, you know, now it's going to be even harder for them to take time off to give a presentation. So I think the, the logistics of finding content is a lot harder for those. But the open source community is known for its ingenuity and the scratching itches, solving problems. So I like to think that out of this, we will end up somewhere better. I think, as you said, with maybe not events once a year or whatever, but people will kind of put together almost like podcasts, but um, with with video um, recordings of people doing talks as and when they are kind of ready. And I can I can see that future. And I think it is a positive future where there'll be channels for this content. And, you know, in each community, they will find a way to, to get that out there. And people will coalesce, maybe not necessarily at certain times, but, um, you know, on social media, on discourse forums or whatever. Uh, that I can see that future. Yeah, I can see that too. Maybe we'll call it conference casting. We'll, we'll coin the term right now. Yeah. I mean, all that really needs is the tools and the like, just the knowledge of how to do it. You know, when, it, when podcasting first started out, people had to figure out, okay, what tools should I use to record? How should I you know, publish it? There are now sites where they'll, you know, publish this podcast to the site and it's discoverable to millions of people through hundreds of apps. You know, once we have that kind of infrastructure built up around supporting this, then yeah, I think it'll really take off. Well, thank you very much for joining me. It's been enlightening. Um, if people want to find you, what's the best way? I am mhall119 on just about every system I'm in. So uh, you can find me there, Twitter. Uh, it's mhall119.com is my website. I keep my Facebook personal, so don't try and find me there. Um, I'm sometimes on IRC. I've gotten kind of out of that habit, but I'll try and get back into that. Okay, cool. Well, I'll link to the blog post that we talked about on your Twitter. Can I ask what the 119 is about? Um, that was uh, my anniversary, my wife's and I uh, dating anniversary. I've been using it for 25 years or so now. That is genius. You'll never forget it. Well done. I will never forget that one. Nope. Great. Well, thanks a lot, and I'll speak to you soon. All right. Thank you for having me on. <laughs>